Because of the savor of thy good ointments, thy name is, an, is as ointment poured forth. Therefore do the virgins love thee. Draw me, draw me, we will run after thee. The king hath brought me into his chambers. We will be glad and rejoice in thee. We will remember thy love more than wine. The upright love thee. Let us pray. God, you want to speak in this house today. I just pray you would. I pray you would show up in your manifest presence. We believe. We just welcome you in this place right now. And I pray for a supernatural grace for our pastor to share the heart of God this morning to our congregation. And I pray, God, that you would break up hard ground, Lord Jesus. And I pray we see harvest. I pray we see seeds sown today. Let your will be done in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Brother Zach. You may be seated this morning. So good to see everybody here. We're going to get right into the word of the Lord. And uh, as we get into the word of the Lord, we want to be remembering um, uh, George uh, Frost and his wife, Trig, and um, Gloria Ogilvy. They've had a wreck in Springfield yesterday, and they're in um, hospitals over in uh, Springfield. And we've heard that Trig has a broken back and a broken sternum and uh, something else, a broken ankle. And Gloria's got a broken hip, and George is okay, but we want to be praying for that family. Just want to rem remember them. We're going to get right in the word of the Lord this morning. This morning, we're going to pick up where we uh, left off last week. We're going to pick up on a mini sermon, uh, on the a mini series on the book of Song of Solomon. I'm not going to go from verse to verse like I did in the series in 2007, but I'm going to try to hit on some of the verses that we didn't elaborate on. I'm going to try to give you new material, even though some of the stuff will have some of the same kind of language to it. We've already established last week that the Song of Solomon is all about passion. It's all about the maiden's love for the beloved, and it's about the beloved's love for the maiden. And really, when you get in the book of Song of Solomon, a preacher can get very nervous because that love can get very descriptive. And we got to be very careful because we do have a mixed crowd here today, and I'm not going to get into real deep descriptive things of some of the things that the Song of Solomon reveals to us, but I want you I don't want you to be embarrassed because the things I'm going to be preaching, they're scripture, they're Bible, and so we're going to be using some words that you might think, ooh, just sometimes it don't sit well, especially with people that's got... Uh, strong convictions about intimacy. We, we established that last week that the beloved represents Christ and the maiden represents the church, which is us individual uh, believers. So the metaphor is painting us a picture that we are to love Christ the same way that that little maiden loved the beloved. And we also established last week that in the context of the book of Song of Solomon, that marriage is a reflection of a relationship with God because our relationship is one of covenant. I want you to know that we see that God had established a covenant with his people Israel in the Old Testament. And we see in Isaiah chapter 54 verse four, uh, 5 and 6 that God had betrothed himself to the nation of Israel and he called Israel his wife. Isaiah chapter 54 verse four, four, 5 and 6 says, for thy maker is thy husband, the Lord of hosts is his name and thy redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, the God of the whole earth shall he be called. For the Lord hath called thee a woman forsaken and grieved in spirit and a wife of youth when thou hast refused, saith the Lord. God had entered into a covenant with them and it was a marriage covenant. God had proclaimed that he had taken Israel as his wife. And in the New Testament, in the book of Ephesians chapter five, the apostle Paul reveals how that Christ has bethrothed himself to the church. So the church is an emblem of the bride of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we are to have a passion 
covenant relationship with Christ like that of a marriage and we are to become one with him. We are to become one with the Lord Jesus Christ. A matter of fact, Jesus prayed in John chapter 17 starting with verse 21 that they all may be one as thou, Father, are in me and I in thee, that thou also may be one in us that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. And the glory which thou gavest me I have given them that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and thou in me that they may be perfect in one and that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. Father, I will that thou also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am that they may behold my glory which thou hast given me for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. Now there's a lot to chew on in these verses of scripture and especially in this prayer of Jesus here but I'll make it as easy as possible. I'll get to the gist of it at the end of this sermon. We're going to dissect that a little bit uh, but I'm not going to go too far in it because uh, it, it, it'll take away from the, uh, the series if we spend too much time on it because this could be a series within itself. This is how preachers get on rabbit trails uh, because everything ties together and we want you to see that but I don't have a time to do all of that in just one sermon. First of all we have to have oneness there has to be intimacy. Marriage relationships have to be consummated in order to have oneness with one another. As a matter of fact the only way a marriage can be annulled or declared to be invalid is if that marriage was never consummated by sexual intimacy with that couple. And even so there's a lot of spiritual relationships that is being annulled and considered invalid due to a lack of spiritual intimacy with the Lord Jesus Christ. The covenant relationship between God and his people are literally being dissolved due to the lack of spiritual intimacy and that's scary. We're like the ten virgins. A lot of times we're virgins but the problem of it is is that we run out of oil which is the anointing. We run out of that touch because we don't keep our relationship intact with Jesus and we lose the anointing oil. We lose our cutting edge and before long our light and our lamp goes out. And I want you to understand the covenant relationship between God and his people are being dissolved due to a lack of spiritual intimacy and it's not on God's fault because God is faithful. God is always pursuing us, loving us, caring for us, but it's our fault because the Bible tells us that the soul that draws back, God has no pleasure in him. It was the Apostle Paul when talking about intimacy. He said in 1 Corinthians 7, 5 between a man and a woman, defraud ye not one the other unless it be with consent for a time only that you may give yourself to fasting and prayer and then come together again at that, that Satan tempts you not through your lack of self-restraint. Paul said some very powerful things here and I want you to understand it. First of all, physical and or spiritual intimacy can hold back and ward off temptation. I want you to understand that. Here in this passage of scripture, the apostle Paul says that when you begin to decide to fast, he said the first thing that we know when we fast, that we don't have any kind of intimacy because it's a time of sacrifice. It's a time that we're going through the fasting period. He said, but when you get done fasting, you and your spouse come back together again that Satan tempts you not through your lack of self-restraint. And let me stop and say this again, that intimacy will hold back and ward off certain temptations. If that is true in the natural, and it is, then how about us when we come into the house of God, that 
that the more intimate I become with Jesus and the more intimate he comes with me, the less temptation that I will have. I love that. You know what? You want to know how to overcome temptation? Fall in love with Jesus. Have an intimate relationship with Jesus. The more intimate I become with him, the less the world is able to pull at me. The more I become intimate with my Lord, there's things that loses its grip off of my life. Well, the more I become intimate with the Lord, the less the enemy can throw things at me. Can I have an amen? A person that is satisfied that having intimacy will not search for something else outside of the covenant relationship. Spiritual intimacy produces a life of fulfillment and satisfaction. I want you to understand that. If you don't believe that, listen to the message last Sunday night that Brother Reasons preached. It was absolutely phenomenal. You won't go looking for another when you're satisfied at home. Can I have an amen? And matter of fact, it was Peter. You remember when Jesus had the great multitudes and he was doing miracles and he was feeding and he was healing and they were all around him, thronging him and just praising him and all of a sudden he stopped the miracles, he stopped the feeding and everybody left him. His church went from several thousand in one day to 12 overnight. And then Jesus looks at his disciples and he says to them, are you going to leave me also? And Peter stands up and says, where do we got to go? Thou, thou only has the words to eternal life. There's nowhere else for us to go. There's nothing else that I belong for. There's nothing else that I want. There's nothing else that pulls at me. Or can I try? Why? Because I love my Savior. I'm in love with him and he's in love with me. And if I got him, I got all that I need. Can I have an amen? There was an older couple in my hometown and they were poor as church mice. These people literally didn't have anything. But they wore rags and they wore the same clothes over and over and over. And the, But man, when you seen that old lady and that old man, they were arm to arm. He treated her like a queen and she treated him like a king. And they'd come in our store and they would walk around and they'd be lovey-dovey and they'd been married for years and years and years and years. And you'd see them in the car and they'd be sitting by each other. He would open the car door for her and he would escort her in everywhere he went. They'd pull in their driveway. He'd open the car door for her. He'd shut the door. He'd grab her by the hand. He'd escort her up the porch and take her in the porch. When they come out in the morning, they come out locked hand in hand. They weren't afraid to kiss in public. They'd smack one another on the lips. And the old lady used to say, "We." And she didn't have no education. She'd say, we don't have nothing, but we got each other. And that's all that matters. I love him and he loves me. And I'm as happy as a June bug. I want to tell you that as long as you got Jesus, you got everything you need. He's the lover of our soul. His better over us is love. Can I have an amen? Hallelujah. The second thing he said was that we're not to defraud one another of intimacy. Paul writes again in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 3 and 4. Let the husband render unto the wife due benevolence, and likewise also the wife unto the husband. The wife has not power over her own body, but the husband, and likewise the husband has no power over his body, but the wife. Now, if you'll listen to this, intimacy is not always set by the desire and the mood of ourselves, but sometimes it is set by the mood or the desire of the one that we're espoused to. Can I have an amen? And matter of fact, did you know the Bible tells you before you go fast and sacrifice and deny empty, get permission from your spouse. 
And the reason it says that is because your spouse may need you at that particular time and they may say no. You know what that tells me? That intimacy is more important than fasting. Think about it. Intimacy is more important than sacrifice. Intimacy is more important than works. Intimacy is more important than serving. Intimacy is the most important thing you can do in your marriage and in your covenantal relationship with Jesus Christ. True intimacy isn't only about self-pleasure, it's about pleasing the other. Sometimes it isn't about us wanting intimacy from God, it's about God wanting intimacy from us. And this is why that we're to praise him when we feel like it. We're to praise him when we don't feel like it. Come on, somebody. We're to praise him in the good times. We're to praise him in the bad times. We're to praise him in the morning mountaintops. We're to praise him in the lowest of valleys. We're to praise him when the sun's shining. We're to praise him at midnight, just like Paul and Silas did in their prison cell. And they said, get the old hymnal out. And at midnight, they sang praises in their afflictions, in their bonds, in their chains. The scripture tells us in Psalms 113, verse 3, from the rising of the sun until the going down of the same, the Lord's name is to be praised. Paul said in Philippians 4 and 4, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. First Timothy 2 and 8 says, I will therefore that men pray everywhere always, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. I'm here to tell you that when we come into this place, sometimes it isn't about us getting our thrill, it's about God getting his thrill. Sometimes it's about us coming in and offer the sacrifice of praise, the fruit of our lips, even praising his name for with such sacrifice, he's well pleased. Sometimes I don't feel him. Sometimes I don't even recognize him around. But nevertheless, he's worthy of my praise. Nevertheless, he wants me to adore him. He wants me to praise him. I'm to have intimacy with him. And if I'll have intimacy with him, he'll show up and he will bless me. Can I have an amen? Listen to what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which you have of God, and it's not your own? For you are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Our body doesn't even belong to ourselves. Even as the wife's body don't belong to herself, it belongs to her husband. And even as the husband's body don't belong to himself, it belongs to the wife. And we don't have power over our bodies, but our spouse does. The Bible says, then therefore, our bodies belong to God. Can I have an amen? We're to never defraud our God of worship and spiritual intimacy of which he's worthy of. Any commitment that is never consummated in spiritual intimacy represents abandonment. And according to the apostle Paul's teachings, the only reason for divorce is adultery and or that of abandonment. It's when the Lord, Paul said, he said, that he said if the unbeliever depart let them depart you're not going to be held uh, accountable for it he said there is a time that when the unbeliever departs you're free of your marriage they abandon you listen to what God told Israel in Jeremiah 2 and 8 and I saw when for all of the causes whereby backsliding Israel committed adultery I had put her away and given her a bill of divorcement Yet her treacherous sister Judah feared not, but went and played the harlot also. I wish I had time to preach on the difference between Judah's sin and Israel's sin here. But one of the first signs of failing or a, failing or a decaying relationship is a withdrawal from intimacy. And the number one reason for a lack of intimacy in a relationship is because they're finding intimacy somewhere else. It's going to get scary right here. 
If there's a lack of intimacy in your relationship, beware, because it's in our genetics as humanity to have intimacy. It's in our DNA to have intimacy. We are made for intimacy. Can I have an amen? And if there's no intimacy in the relationship, it's because one of them is finding intimacy in someone or something else. This means they're giving their heart over to another. It's like the woman that had a blowout on her car. She's driving down the road. She has a blowout, and she pulls over on the side of the road. A man came by and seen it, and he pulled over and asked, have you called someone, or do you need some help? She replied, well, I've called my husband, but he hasn't answered. And then the man said, well, have you, have you got a spare? And she said, yes, and I called him also, and he didn't respond. My wife said, don't tell that joke, that's bad. But you laughed. But that's where our culture's at. If there's not having intimacy within the relationship, then they're having intimacy somewhere else. It's not always another person, most of the time it is in a relationship, but it can be anything that they put before that relationship. It can be someone or something else. The Bible calls it worldly affections. It can be hobbies, it can be sports, it can be jobs, it can be materialisms. Come on, there's some people that love the golf course more than loving their spouse. There's some people that love their car more than they love their spouse. They'll shine that dude and wash that dude and they'll pay more for it and they put, come on somebody. It's not always intimacy with someone. Sometimes it's just intimacy with other things. Sometimes it's the things of the world. So it's, it's amazing. You know what I think the number one God of America is? It's called a cell phone and we're all guilty. Come on, we're on that thing all the time. We don't even know how we lived without it. I remember when we didn't have no cell phone. The way you got someone's attention is holler at them or scream at them. And if they wasn't around, then you just, you were stuck. Come on, somebody. And we're living in a day when all of our attention is, and, and all of our, we're being hammered uh, by all the different kinds of things that's going on around us. The Bible commands us in the book of 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 through 17, love not the world, neither things that's in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Did you catch that? Love not the world, or the things of the world. Even the things, just trinkets that can carry us away. Love not the world, neither things in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not even for all that's in the world. The lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life. They're not of the Father, but they're of the world. The world's going to pass away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God, it's him that abides forever. It is also, it is the cares of life that choke us, according to Paul's teaching, and it causes us to be unfruitful. It was also Paul that said in Colossians 3 and 2, set your affections on the things above and not on the things of this earth. Anything that we put more value on or more time on and more of our resources on above God is spiritual adultery. A matter of fact, anything we put before our relationship with God is idolatry. Can I have an amen? This is why that Moses wrote in Exodus 34, 14, for thou shalt worship no other God, for the Lord whose name is jealous is a jealous God. People say, well, we don't make uh, idols like they did and bow down and worship them. And, and they don't consider putting more resources and more time and more energy into something as worship. A lot of people, yes, that is worship. But nevertheless, Moses hit it when he said in Exodus 20 and 3, for thou shalt have no other gods before him. In other words, don't put anything before God. 
God. He's got to be the number one in your life. He's a jealous God, and he demands number one, and he's worthy of him being number one of your life. Can I have an amen? Now, this is where it's going to get, uh, I'm going to get a, a little bit deep here. I'm going to really challenge some of your theology and some of your thinking. I want you to bear with me. We've already disclosed that our passion is to be focused upon our marital partner, which is in the context of the Song of Solomon, Christ, our beloved. So our attention is to be upon Christ. Is that not right? All of our focus, all of our energy, all of our love. We're to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Can I have an amen? Our passion must be governed by presence and by the Holy Spirit enablement. If it is not governed or regulated by the Spirit of God or by divine presence, then we will have a misguided passion that will lead us astray and bring destruction within our life. Here is the pitfall that we have to watch for. And I tried to skip this. I didn't really want to hit on this, and the Lord would not allow me. He kept pulling me back to it and pulling me back to it. I'd throw it away, and I'd redo it, and I'd throw it. But he just would not allow me to get past this. As a matter of fact, if you're going to hear anything out of this sermon, you've got to hear this because this is the main point that the Lord has really wanted me to drive home here to this congregation. It's so easy for us as humans to do the right thing, even in a right way, with right intentions, and still be wrong. Come on. Due to a lack of guidance produced by a lack of intimacy within our lives. We, you know, we hear people all the time, well, I felt it. Well, your feelings is not always the indicator that you should follow through with it. One of the things that happens is somebody will give you an opportunity and all of a sudden, oh, I just felt so wonderful. about It ain't about feeling. Come on. You can get misguided passion out of emotion real, real fast. As a matter of fact, we hear people all the time say, follow your heart. Yet the Bible says the heart is deceitful above all things. Who can know it? Matter of fact, the Bible says there's, there's a way that seemeth right unto man, but the ends thereof is destruction. If you are not guided by a sense of his divine presence, you could be led astray real fast, real easily. Come on, somebody. You got to know him in an intimate way in order to be able to trust him to follow suit in his leading and his prompting. I think that we've been the victim of a subtle shift in focus from one generation to another here in America. It, was, it has happened so slow over such a long period of time that I don't think we even recognize it. With each new generation and with the passing of time, we have formed our own culture, and due to the absence of intimacy forming that culture, we have lost focus on how to live kingdom life. The way that people live kingdom life 50 years ago and the way that we live kingdom life now is totally 100% differently. Back then, their, their convictions were, were stronger. Their, their, their values were intact. Their morals were intact. Come on, somebody. Back then, they had a sense of understanding the holiness of God. We have lost sight of that in America today. If the devil cannot get you to openly sin or to get you transgressing God's laws, then the next thing that he does is cause you to have misguided passion. I'm concerned that those that is really wanting to serve God in today's religious culture have transferred their passion and their energy over on the church instead of Christ. And this is where we think that passion poured upon the church and into the work and in the ministry of the church is the same as pouring passion upon Jesus. Is it possible? I think that we have almost made the church and Christ unseparable. Come on now. We unknowingly have made them equals which is idolatry because nothing shall stand in the place of Christ. He's Lord. There is no other. Can I have a name? Come on, somebody help me preach. Us men are especially guilty of doing the same thing in our marriage relationship. 
Men are guilty of substituting work around the house, bringing home the bacon as being the same as loving our wives. You know how many arguments me and Jenny have had over the last 40 years? Something like that. Where I tried to justify my lack of paying attention to her. I don't cheat on you. I don't go to the bars. I work all the time so you can have what you want. I mow the lawn. I take care of the house. I, I, I change the oil on the cars. I pay the bills. Da, 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 da. Look at what all I do. That's the way I show my love to you. And even as every wife will appreciate her husband's work and his provision for the family, yet it is not a substitute for making his wife the center of his attention and the object of his devotion and the longing of his heart. Come on, somebody. She don't want just all your trinkets like they said last week. The maiden says, I don't want all your trinkets, man. I want the kisses of your mouth. I want your affection. Come on. Now let me stop here. Just as we are to love what Christ loves, and he loves no other any better than the church, we're to love the church, yet we also cannot substitute our work for the church and our love for the church, our faithfulness to the church, as a substitute for personal and passionate relationship with Christ himself. Amen? If the church is Christ's bride and his wife, and it is, then we have to be very careful that we don't border on spiritual adultery by loving another man's wife by having intimacy more with the church than we do with Jesus himself. Amen? Thank God that we love the church, but we're not to be intimate with the church. Our intimacy belongs to Jesus and Jesus alone. Can I have an amen? It's not wrong to love the church. We're supposed to, but it's wrong to elevate and put the church in the place of Christ, which makes that idolatry. We cannot make the church and Jesus equals. We've been told, and we've, been, we've even told ourselves, we'll love the church and the church will love you. We've been told, and we've also told ourselves, take care of the church, and the church will take care of you. And as much as the, this is the desire of the church is to take everybody that take care of everybody that comes under the roof of this church, yet it's wrong to put that kind of peer pressure on the church and that kind of expectation upon us, because it's wrong to expect something out of the church that only Jesus can do. Come on. The truth of the matter is the best of the church will always fail you, disappoint you, and not meet all your expectations. As a matter of fact, some churches can hurt you deeply, wound you. Not, not, they don't mean to. It's not designed to do everything you want them to do. It's not designed to be with you every time you have a tragedy. That's what we've been taught. Come on. This is the reason there's so many wounded people by the church. I don't blame the church, but I blame the person that tries to make the church Jesus. Only Jesus can take care of you. Only Jesus can meet all your needs. Only Jesus can be there when you need him to be there. It's impossible for the church to be all things, to do all things, to be in every place that they need to be in at the exact same time. Somebody's going to fall through the cracks. Somebody's going to be hurt. But the truth of the matter is, it's not about the church holding your hand. It's about Jesus holding your hand, a Savior that will never leave you nor forsake you. It's about your love for Jesus. Hallelujah. We cannot lose our focus and put more passion in serving the church than we do in loving Jesus Christ. Our intimacy is to be given to Christ and none other, only Christ alone. 
Now, I'm no way advocating or suggesting the least that we diminish the respect, our respect or our love for the church. I'm in no way saying that we don't need to invest time and energy in the church. Uh, we must care for the church. We must take care of the church. We've got to be faithful to the church. We've got to work for the church. We've got to minister for the church. But the design of the church is this. The design of the church is not to meet everybody's need. Amen? The design of the church is to facilitate the presence of God and to be life-transforming so that the presence of God can meet every need in your life. It is to facilitate the presence of God to where you come to know God personally and he is the one that takes care of you, not the church. Now, I think the church needs to do what it can, be a representative of Christ, be his arms extended. But in reality, the truth of the matter is that sometimes we look to the church to help us when we never even prayed and asked Jesus to help us. Sometimes we'll call the pastor before we'll bend a knee. Some, come on, somebody. Sometimes we look to a human strength without looking to Jesus and he gets offended. Jesus is sitting there saying, I want to help you. I want to bless you. But why is it that you're putting more faith in an earthly institution than you are me? Why is it that you're bypassing the throne and you're going to somewhere else trying to find the need for your life? I'm the, I am your resource. I am your king. I am your Lord. I am your Savior. I'll be all things to all men. Can I have an Amen. And the truth of the matter is this, Israel, we want a king. Jesus said, you don't need, uh, God says, you don't need a king. We want a king. You don't need a king, I'll be your king. No, we want one we can see and feel and handle. Well, they got one, all right, they got King Saul and look what happened. Oh, Lord, help me. The design of the church is to facilitate the presence of God and be life transforming so that you can get a faith that depends upon Jesus to meet every one of your needs. And that this can only happen through what? Divine presence. When Jesus prayed that prayer in John 17, verse 21 through 24, to break it down, he gave us three major reference points, and there's many more. I'm just gonna give you three. As I said earlier, we could bring a lot out. We could do a series on that passage of scripture. But I want us to focus just on the three majors here for just for a moment of intimacy and oneness with the Lord. First of all, he said in verse 22, and the glory, say the glory, which I had with you, Father, I have given to them that they may be one even as you and I are one. Oh, man, I wish I could preach there. And then he says in verse 24, Father, I will, they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am that they may behold my glory, say glory, which thou hast given me from thou lovest me before the foundations of the world. Principle number one, we've already said and established that there can be no oneness without intimacy. But Jesus revealed to us in this scripture that intimacy unveils glory. There will be no glory without intimacy. Intimacy happens behind the veil in the holies of holies. If you never get behind the veil, you never see the glory of God. If you never get around the Ark of the Covenant, if you never get in divine presence, you never see the glory of God. And there's so many churches that are void of the glory because they're void of the presence. 
And if there's one thing I desire, I don't care how much that necessarily that I try to meet everybody's needs anymore. I'm beyond that. I, I can't. I try. I, I'll do everything I can to help you. But the, what I am trusting in is, God, you know what? The load will lift off of me when the glory of God settles in this place and the glory of God begins to come down upon the people. And when, when the glory of God comes down upon the people, it'll give life transforming, transformation to where they'll get up and they'll be strong in the Lord and the power of his mind and they'll have everything they need because they'll live in the abundance of glory. Matter of fact, it was Paul that said in 1 Corinthians 1 29 that no flesh shall glory in his presence. God's glory cannot and will not be sustained or manifested to a people that operate by the arm of the flesh. You cannot be carnal and house the presence of God and see the manifestations of his glory. The glory of God is reserved to those who cultivate and set an atmosphere that is conducive for the presence of God. We're to build up a spiritual house for a holy inhabitation of the Lord. Each one of us being lively stones built up together so that he might inhabit us. It was a psalmist that said in Psalm 16 and 11, in his presence, there's fullness of joy. It was Nehemiah that said in Nehemiah 8 and 10 that the joy of the Lord is our strength. There is no joy outside of the presence of God. But wherever God's presence is alive and wherever God's presence working among us, it vanishes sorrow and worry and doubt and unbelief and fear. It replaces it with the fruits of the Spirit, which is the presence of God. When we have a church that's always coming here fearful, bound, worrying, tied up, bound, come on, depressed, anxiety on their shoulders, coming in as if they can't make another step, wondering where God's at. You know what the problem of it is? Their void of presence. Because wherever the presence of God is, it vanishes sorrow and worry, doubt, and unbelief. It produces abundance. John 10 and 10 says, the thief comes not but to kill, to steal, and destroy. I've come to give you life and give it to you more abundantly. What is the presence of God? It's the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, self-control, temperance. Amen? We cannot give allegiance to earthly kingdoms, make them our priority, and still expect God's will and kingdom to be done in us. We cannot pursue the carnal, the worldly, and the temporal and expect to reap the results of the spiritual and the eternal. We cannot live a life of flesh all week and come in and say, now show us your glory. It ain't gonna happen. We cannot produce holiness within ourselves and carry the favor of God. We have to be spiritual people. And only the presence of God can cause the inhabitation of God's glory to be on us and within us. You want to see the glory of God, then get in Jesus. Jesus said, I want those that you have given me to be with me, and I want them to be where I am so that they may behold my glory. You know where the glory of God is at? It's wherever Jesus' presence is at. You want the glory? Get in Jesus. John chapter 1 verse 14 tells us uh, that word became flesh and we beheld his glory as the glory is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. You want the glory of God? Find Jesus. You want the glory of God? Step into his presence. You want the glory of God? Go behind the veil. If you want the glory of God, get in the bedchambers with the king. Have intimacy with the Lord. Amen. God doesn't always want to, want to look for us and push us out and 
lift us up and to come to our rescue all the time. He wants us to sit where he's sitting. He wants us to be where he's at. He wants us to walk in anointing, divine favor, victory. He wants us to possess spiritual authority and dominion. According to Paul in Ephesians 2, we're to sit in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We're not the tail, we're the head. Come on, somebody. We don't, we don't need to be tr treated like a, a, rug, a rug mat for the devil's to trump his feet upon us. We're living beneath divine privilege when we don't have presence, the presence of God. The second principle of oneness and intimacy is, and I won't stay here long, it produces unity among us as believers. Jesus said, if they are one in us, they're gonna be one with each other. Amen? It doesn't matter how much, but first of all, let me just stop right there. This is a different principle. It is possible for the people to be one, but not one with Christ, and they're one and involved in something else, like building the Tower of Babel. Uh-huh, come on. Our oneness comes out of the sense of knowing him first, and then we form oneness with other people through that relationship. It doesn't matter how much we love one another. Without the presence of God, we will always have personality clashes. We'll have differences. We'll have wars, disagreements, fights, struggles, jealousies, envy, strife, fractions. We're human. I cannot even love you the way I need to love you without it being the love of Jesus in me. Love covers the multitude of sins and it manifests the grace and the mercy of God. I can only forgive you and have grace and mercy upon you if I house and carry the presence of God. I can only be patient with you if I house the presence of God. Haven't you ever wanted to split somebody? Ooh, pow, and the Lord just come down in his presence and that melts away and all of a sudden you start praying for him. Come on, am I the only one that goes through that kind of stuff? The presence of God regulates and guides your life so that you won't work out of the arm of flesh but out of the spirit. God's presence will unify a people, a home, a church, a family, and even a nation. Somebody said, well, what's, why are they getting divorced? It's because Jesus isn't there. Why is that church split? Because Jesus isn't there. Why is that class having grumblings? Because Jesus isn't among them. Come on. He may be there, but they're not listening to him. God help us. The third principle of oneness is, and it's the heartbeat of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 21, he says, I want them to be one as you and I are one, and I want them to be one in us so that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. Look at verse 23. I in them and thou in me that they may be perfect, say perfect, in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved me as thou hast loved them. Oneness produces witness. It reveals God to the lost. I want you to understand this is where the Spirit of God bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God and of children that heirs and heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. It reveals Jesus and it is proof that the Father has sent the Son and the Son has loved us and that we love him. And the reason that souls are not being saved in the church is because there's no witness of his presence among them. If God's presence is openly manifested in our lives, people will be drawn to that presence. Amen. I hear, I've told this story before about a man by the name of T.L. Lowry in our denomination. He's deceased now. But he's one of the great preachers of, our, of the history of our church. Very anointed, had all kinds of miracles all the time. They were having general assembly in, in St. Louis, and one of my friends lived up there, and, 
And they told him, go get us a restaurant and get us a seat for so many and save it, and we'll be along in a little bit after the General Assembly. So he went out and got a big table and saved it at Cracker Barrel down off of 55 Highway. And he said, the place is jam-packed, and T.L. Lowry and the group from the Church of God come in, and T.L. Lowry's coming in first. And said when he walked in the door, that there was a holy hush. Boom, hit that restaurant. Presence fell in that place. And he said, if I had not seen this with my own eyes, I wouldn't believe it. He said, you know I'm very skeptical. This, this guy's skeptical and very analytical of everything. And if there, if there is going to be a miracle, he wants it documented. He wants proof. That's the kind of man he is. And he said, I'm telling you, I've seen it with my own eyes. That man walked in that room and he said, that whole restaurant, boom, everybody stopped eating. He said, you could have heard a pin drop. And everybody's head threw up and looked straight at him. And he looked at everybody and he waved at them and said, y'all go on eating now. And he went and he sat down. There was a divine presence that day upon his life that captivated a whole restaurant. Come on. We had a preacher come here and was wanting to be shown the church. They were going to build on and they wanted some ideas. And it was on a Tuesday morning and our women was praying in the room 102, 101, whatever that is. And they're praying, and the power of God was so strong. And he walked out in the foyer, and he, whoa. And he stopped, and he looked at me, and his eyes were big, and te a tear was coming down. What, what is that? I said, what do you mean? He said, what's that sound? I said, man, that's our, our women praying. He said, are, are, are you kidding me? I said, no. And he said, oh, man, the presence of God's so thick here. And he, he just couldn't even hardly walk through the rest of the building. And that's all he talked about was the presence of God he felt that day over that women's prayer meeting, of them having intimacy with God. There were moanings and groanings, and it was loud, and it was, and man, it just, it just blew him away. He went back to his church that next Sunday, and he got up behind the pulpit, and, and they don't even really believe that the kind of religion that it was. They don't even know if we're really truly saved or not because of who we are. And he got up and said, you can say they're not saved. You can say whatever you want, but they blow us to shame. He said, I want to tell you, when I walked into their foyer on a Tuesday, there was a group of women praying, and the power of God was flowing in that place, and there was no doubt about it. God's spirit bared witness with that church that they are children of God. And he said, that presence was in the palace of praise. Can you give the Lord praise for that? Look at verse three and four and we'll come to a close. Because of thy savior of thy good ointments, thy, na thy name is, a, is a, as an ointment poured forth. Therefore do the virgins love thee. Draw me and we will run after thee. The king hath brought me into his chambers. We will be glad and rejoice in thee. We will remember thy love more than wine. The upright loveth thee. Now, Jesus wants to pour out his anointing on the church. And his anointing is like fresh oil. It, it, it anoints, it drops, it draws people, the anointing draws people to him. The oil is a sweet-smelling Savior, and it's sweet-smelling aroma that gets people's attention. Come on. It's attractive. It's beautiful. It's an aroma, and it's a scent. The oil is like an anointment used for healing in the Old Testament and comfort. That's why Isaiah 61, verse 1 through 3 
you know in the New Testament it's quoted also in Luke where it says, the spirit of the Lord God's upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captor, the recovering of the sight to the blind, to set at liberty them the bruised, and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord, and to comfort them that mourn. Now listen to what he says in verse 3 though. To appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joyful mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that we might be called the trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that what? He might be glorified. There's glory again. When spiritual intimacy happens and we connect with God's presence, this is what happens to the church. Our ashes is traded for beauty. Our mourning gives away to the oil of gladness. That's why the psalmist said, make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness, not sadness. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come in his presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, he is God, and it is he that has made us and not we ourselves. We are his sheep and the, we are, we, we are the his sheep and he, and, and the, we feed in his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving, enter his courts with praise and be thankful and bless his holy name for his truth endureth to all generations. I want you to know, he says, our spirit of heaviness gives way to praise. Why is it that we come in heavy laden? Why is it we come in mourning? Why is it that we come in with ashes all over us like we've been in repentance every week? Why is it because God says when my presence come down, them ashes are turned to beauty, that mourning is turned to gladness, and the spirit of heaviness gives way to praise. Why does that happen? So the church might be glorified and revealed, or that Christ might be glorified and revealed through the church. When we have intimacy with God, God's glory shows up and there's a witness of him in the church. Hallelujah. It also says in verse three, the virgins loveth thee. Verse four says, the upright loveth you. The virgins he's talking about is the virgin bride, the church. He that hath pure hands and a clean heart, who's not lifted up his soul into vanity nor sworn deceitfully, he is the one that can send to the he is the one that can ascend to the holy hill of the Lord. I know I want to tell you, he's speaking of his place of dwelling. He said, the pure in heart, they're the ones that's going to see God. It's those that have an upright spirit. It's those that want the presence of God. According to verse four, his presence will draw and allure his virgin bride to his bedchambers. Oh my. Their love will become more deeper than just the wine of his presence, more than just talking about the thrills of dating, more about, it's more than the gifts of love. It's more about that, but this is a relationship that becomes more intimate. The bedchambers is speaking of the place where intimacy happens. There are different levels of the presence of God, just like there are different levels of relationship. The level of relationship you have in the courtyard is that of sacrifice. Works. Come on. The level of the inner court, the holy place, is that of devotions. It's the devotion of the word, breaking of the bread. It's the devotion of the spirit, the candle. It's the devotion of prayer, the incense. It's a devotion of disciplines. It's where we enter in and we read the word and, and we study the word and we, we, we have a ministry of the Holy Spirit and we have time of prayer. But to form intimacy, sometimes it takes more than just coming in and doing those things. We got to go behind the veil to the holies of holies. That's where the intimacy is. It's behind the veil. To form intimacy, sometimes it takes time for the relationship to mature. You might not find intimacy just like that. Before intimacy can happen, the bedroom is off limits to some. Some are not ready to go into that place. They're not ready to have that kind of a relationship. Just like when you're dating, it's not time for intimacy. You have to get married first. 
Can I have a, and before you can have intimacy with Christ, you gotta be married to him. I, I make you number one. If there's gotta be a life of laying it down, a life of sanctification, a life of cleansing, a life of renewal, a life of commitment making him truly Lord of our lives. You say, well, I thought we'd done that at salvation. You got saved, but there's still a lot of work in your life and learning how to be able to have intimacy in that relationship. Can I have an amen? But I will tell you this, when it's time to have intimacy and you refuse, you won't grow any farther in your, in your relationship. And I want to tell you something, you'll get stuck. There are people that are stuck in their relationship. They have the same kind of relationship today than they had 40 years ago with Christ. They haven't grown, they haven't matured, they have no new experiences, they have no miracles to talk about, they have no encounters to talk about, they have no, nothing. It's just the same old routine, every day, every day, every day, daily grind, daily grind, and they've never known how to get out of the daily grind and to crawl into the bed chambers with the king and have divine presence following them all the days of their life. Can I have an amen? Oh, Lord. I know this, I don't want a shallow relationship with my beloved, I want it to be rich, I want it to be full, I want it to be beautiful. I'll be honest about some things here today, I'll be open to you as a pastor. I've had to repent over some of the things because of the way I've allowed my relationship with my wife to be, it's not bad, we love each other, but the more I study the Song of Solomon, the more I wanna stay out of it, because man, it'll nail you right between the eyes. Come on. Every single one of you can be better in your marriage relationship with each other. Matter of fact, if you're just sitting by your spouse right now, just reach over and give them a kiss. Now what, not, 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 well now hold it, don't get carried away and forget where you're at. You're at church. Now I want you to do me another favor. Lift your hand and give the Lord a holy kiss. Love on him a little bit. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord. I don't know about you, but my Lord's been faithful to me. He's been trustworthy. He's been true. He's been loyal to me. And I just don't want to go halfway with him. I want to go all the way. I want to give him my all. In these last days of Kent Miller's life, I want to mature to the place to where I give him everything I've got. I want to put him number one in my life. God is inviting every single one of us in this sanctuary today. He summons every one of us to come into the bedchambers with him, to have intimacy with him. He desires for you to take your relationship with him to another level, one of intimacy and not one that has just inspired or one that, you know, you, well, I got feelings for the Lord. He, he wants you to have more than just curiosity of who he is. He wants you to come to know him in an intimate way and become one with him. Can we be like those virgins in verse four? They say, draw me, offer me the invitation and we'll come running to you because the virgins love you. We love you, beloved. Do we love him like that? Are we like the woman with the flat tar? We have a spare over here. If Jesus don't come through, well, we got another spare. We find fulfillment over here. Come on. Do we have a dual role here? Do we want, to, we want to walk in the flesh and yet reap the benefits of the spiritual? It won't work. You know what's really scary? The early forefathers, they understood intimacy. It was nothing to come in 
for a Sunday night service an hour before service start. Altars would be full for people praying over that service. There was nothing to come in and see people in groups praying for one another. There was nothing to hear about people regularly fasting and loving the Lord. And it, was nothing to, it was nothing unusual to have praise outbreaks where the power of God just come down and the preacher couldn't even preach for the reason of the glory of God upon the church. I miss those days. We need presence. I need him and he needs me. But he don't have to have me, but I have to have him. He wants me. He needs me for the kingdom, but he can survive without me. But I can't survive without him. Terry, I need him. I got to have him. More now than I've ever needed him before. We're living in a dark, dark age, folks. And the only hope is if this new generation gets a taste, foretaste of glory divine. Come on, somebody, like the old song say. They need a foretaste of glory divine by coming into the presence of God and understanding the level of intimacy that God wants to have by his abiding presence. Some people have never felt it. They've never experienced it. They've never encountered it. They've never been knocked off of their horse like the apostle Paul did by seeing the radiant glory of God and he fell off of his horse. And the glory of God says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who art thou that I persecute? Oh, God, help us. I want to fall off of my high horse here today. I want to be struck down by the glory of God. I want God to peel back the curtain, peel back the veil and say, Kent, Kent, I want him to call my name. Come in behind the veil. Come into the chambers, the bed chambers with the king. And then that veil shut. But the problem of it is there are many that are sitting out in the lobby waiting to get into the presence and he's not inviting them to that place as of yet because there's not enough sanctification. There's not enough eagerness. There's not enough hunger. There's not enough thirst. Blessed are those that do hunger and thirst after righteousness. They're the ones that's going to be filled. It's to the hungry. It's to the ones that really want. And there are people in this building that have been Christians 30 years and have never heard any kind of preaching like this before in their lives because we just go through our religious patterns and we go through going, singing the same songs, doing the same kinds of sermons, and we're never challenged to get into a place that a people rarely go to and to be challenged to be something different than what our culture has ever revealed to us. Some of you never seen it. Some of you never heard of it. It's time to be different because it's there for you, awaiting for you. It's waiting for all of us. Where God's saying, come in behind the bed chambers. This week... I've just made up my mind in my life, you can do whatever you want to do. I'm taking moments in my life to where I just walk in and flop down and say, I'm here, Lord. Here's Kent. Here's this mess before you again today. But I love you. And all I know is I love you. And all I know is I need you, oh God. And every time I've done that, he showed up. He'll show up. Might not be exactly the way you want it, when you want it, how you want it. And it takes time to water through the flesh and throw your bad thinking out, your condemnation out, your guilt out, and all that kind of stuff. Things to repent of, things that he reveals to you, and you have to work through those things. That's what this is all about. 
But there will come a time he'll pull back that curtain. He'll grab a hold of your hand and he'll pull you into that bed chambers and there'll be sweet, sweet aroma like you've never had before in your life. It'll change the way you see, the way you act, the way you look, the way you talk, where you go, what you'll watch, what you'll do, how much time you spend on. It, it just convicts you. I was telling Deborah the other day, we were out to eat with her and John, and I said, man, the Song of Solomon just nails me between the eyes. And she said, well, it ain't one of my favorite books, and I wanted to slap her. <laughs> what do you mean, man? I mean, I, this book is speaking to me. How can you not read the Song of Solomon? It's where I'm at. It's where the Lord's wanting to take the church. He's wanting to bring us into divine presence, just presence. Just when people walk in, ooh, there's something eerie about this place. Ooh, there's something wonderful. It just, and they don't know what it is, but they feel it, and they're drawn to it. Amen? Instead of trying to be all things to all people, just be what you need to be to Jesus, and everything else will fall into place. Don't love the church and your ministry and your service and your work and whatever more than just loving Jesus. Fall in love with him. All that other stuff will just fall into place. And you're not going to be worth a plug nickel without the presence of God anyway. When I got up this morning, I said, God, if you don't show up, th th this message is all in vain. If, if your glory don't come down, if your presence isn't felt, if people isn't challenged, to, I, I, I'm nothing without you. No matter how good it's been laid out and how good it's been articulated, how much I've studied about it, how much I've outlined it, if you're not in this thing and if it ain't done with intimacy on my part, then I'm wasting my time. Would you stand with me this morning? It's early yet. I, I, I preached. I said it was. I went a little more than I thought I was. God's inviting you to the bedchambers today. How many will respond? Will you run like the virgins did? Will you run to him like the virgins did? Lord, we love you. We'll come running to you. If you'll just give us the invitation just to come to know you, we'll, we'll come running. How many want to get into that place where you just want to just find Jesus and love on him and praise him and worship him and sit and talk and share Is there any others? I'm, I'm not begging, pleading, prompting. I'm just asking you how much you want it. It's up to you. It's not up to me. Oh, Holy Spirit, give us your presence, Lord. Give us your presence in this place. Help us, Father. Oh, Holy Spirit, just come down in this place and help us to have oneness with you. Lord, that you might show us your glory. And that by showing us your glory, that people would see that glory and know that you're with us. It'll be a witness and a sign to the outside unbeliever that you love us and that we love you. That we're one with you. That there's something different about us. Oh, Holy Spirit, love on your church today. Love on your people that's loving you. Lord, we pray and we ask it in the name of Jesus. Holy Spirit, holy fire. Oh. Oh, sweet presence of God. I don't want to defraud you of worship.
I don't want to defraud you of intimacy. You're given a divine invitation and I have the responsibility to give you what you desire here today. It's not about what I desire. It's me giving you worship and praise and adoration and glory. You're our God, you're our Lord, you're our Savior and we praise you today. Lord, we're coming in and we're asking to trade our ashes for beauty. Ha. We're asking, Lord, to take the spirit of heaviness and trade it for the garment of praise. Oh, turn your people inside out and upside down. Show them your glory. The glory that you had with your Father from the very beginning of the foundations of the earth. Now give it to your people that we may be where you're at. Oh, I pray and I ask it in the name of Jesus. Oh, Holy Spirit. Oh, Holy Spirit. Be sweet and gentle to us here today. Send revival in the hearts and the minds of every single one that's here praying. Everyone that's reaching out, send revival. Send revival. It's the first stage of setting the atmosphere, setting the tone, making the atmosphere conducive to the presence of God. We gotta have a remnant that's willing to do that, God, and we have that remnant here today. Lord, set your let us set presidents. Help us to facilitate the presence of God to an outside world at the palace of praise. It's not about fulfilling our own desire. It's about fulfilling the desire that we have with you. Oh, God, now, Lord, begin your workings, I pray, in Jesus' name.